All right. Um, we're, we're going through the Bible, book by book, each and every Sunday. And so today we're on 1 Kings, which is a great book. And um, uh, it starts off with uh, the, the death of David and the installation of his son Solomon. And we, it, it is the, it is the, it's the golden age of the monarchy. And it, 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 not only is it a monarchy, not only do we have kings for the very first time in Israel, we have a dynasty. And so God is going to establish a dynasty through, through David's line. And we get Jesus out of this. It's kind of an important concept. And his son, Solomon, it's actually, I guess, it's the seventh or his ninth son. It's, it's, not, it's not the oldest for some reason. Well, I'll tell you about this later. But Solomon is the one that inherits the throne. And we are going to take a look at it. But not today. <laughs> um, I have, oh, God's so annoying sometimes. Because <laughs> I have spent, I, I don't know how, I, I don't track my hours and how much time I have spent. But I was supposed to talk about Solomon today. And the temple, I had some really cool slides of the temple and, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, all, you know, really good PowerPoint slides. But I don't know, probably around nine o'clock, things changed last night. And so we're not, God's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to teach on Solomon. He says, no, you're not. So we're going to, it's Elijah today. So it, it changed. Um, so to, unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to break the chronology line a little bit. So we have the establishment of the monarchy. We have the establishment of a dynasty through David and Solomon. And it is, it's the golden years. It doesn't get any better than this. Uh, Solomon builds David's temple. We call it Solomon's temple. It was not Solomon's temple. It was David's temple. It was in his mind. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that had it all prepped. He's the one that had all the workers arranged. He had the whole, he did the blueprints. And he didn't lift a stone. David, or Solomon built it. But it, the whole thing, God put the temple into David's mind. But he couldn't build it because he had bloody hands. Because he was a man of violence. Because he was a warlord before he was a king. And so, um, so we get, the, we get the establishment of the monarchy, the dynasty, and guess how long Camelot lasts? One generation, 40 years, and that's it. And then the whole thing falls apart, and we get a divided monarchy. The reason why I'm bringing this up, because it's important for today's lesson. We get a divided monarchy. There is a young man, we'll talk about him in a couple of weeks, Jeroboam, who, uh, who just didn't, so he said, you know what, I don't like what's going on. A dynasty? Where in the Torah, that's the Bible, that's what they call the Bible, where in the Torah does it say we have to have a dynasty? You ever hear people talk like this? Where in the Bible does it say, you know, we have to do things this way? The Bible doesn't say that. Well, the, the same logic got applied in the ancient world because in David's mind, the freshly spoken word that was given to David was you're going to design a temple. And it's actually important, not because it's a structure, an edifice, but it's important symbolically and spiritually. The building was important. And God gave it to David in his mind. He just couldn't build it. But it's not in the, it wasn't in the Bible. 
God didn't tell Moses to build a temple, did he? God told Moses to build a, a tabernacle, a portable tent shrine. And so Jeroboam, he's like, I don't like what's going on. Oh, who, whose idea was it to have a dynasty? And whose idea was it to build a temple, a, a structure, a centralized place of worship? Because everybody was worshiping everywhere. If you had a mountain, they put an altar on it. They had competing high places where they would do, you know, cool sacrifices and stuff. But God wanted to, he wanted to bring unity, and they brought this central place of worship. And people like Jeroboam didn't like it. And he rebelled. And there's some really interesting stuff that happens because it's almost like God actually wanted him to do it. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. It's kind of confusing, but we're going to flesh it out. But what we do know is that Jeroboam sinned. He sinned in two ways. He sinned because he rebelled, because he broke unity, because he had a divisive spirit. And the, the second area that he sinned in was idolatry. Not adultery, he wasn't having affairs, but idolatry, meaning that he decided that he was going to worship cooler gods, the calf god that got inherited from Egypt. They worshiped the calves instead. And these are the gods that led you out of Israel. So he set up a calf shrine in Dan, and he set up a calf shrine in, uh, in Bethel. So he, 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 this sin, the sin of Jeroboam, one man's decision for rebellion, one man's decision to lead a nation into idolatry, tainted Israel for, for a long time. And the whole nation paid the price of one man's sin, the sin of Jeroboam. You're going to hear about it over and over again when you continue to read the scriptures. The sin of Jeroboam, the sin of Jeroboam, rebellion and idolatry. It's a constant thing. And so the two nations break up. There is all, the majority of Israel, 10 tribes say, you know what? We, we, don't, we don't like change. We don't like innovation. The whole concept of a centralized form of worship, the whole concept of a dynasty, these are innovations that we do not like. And so all, we're all going to, all 10 tribes are going to say, we're going to go hang out with Jeroboam. And this is where it gets confusing, and you just need to know this. They became Israel. So there's two names now. There's two there's two kingdoms. There's a divided monarchy. And so there's going to be the nation of Israel, which started with Jeroboam and his rebellion and his sin. And that nation is called Israel. Okay? So this is where it gets confusing. Because now Israel, they're the rebels. They're, in, in essence, they're the bad guys. Now, there's a couple of good guys in there. There's good people in Israel. But when you read the scriptures from now on, the, 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 the nation of Israel are the rebels. And in God's eyes, they're kind of the bad ones. They're the ones that God's trying to straighten up. Now, on the other, the other monarchy is the nation of Judah. And for the most part, the nation of Judah, they're the good ones. 
because they're the ones that, that are maintaining the centralized worship. They're the ones that are maintaining the dynasty. They are the lineage of David. And there's two tribes. Sometimes you read it, it sounds like it's one, but it's the tribe of Judah, and it's the very tiny tribe of Benjamin. But they're the ones that have the power, and they're the ones that have Jerusalem. And so they go into civil war from now on. So now, when, we've, when we're talking about Elijah, we are basically in full-blown civil war. There are two nations, the, the naughty nation of Israel and the somewhat naughty nation of Judah, because they're making bad decisions too, by the way. But every once in a while, you get a righteous king, and then you get a naughty king, and then you get a righteous king, and then you get a naughty king. It's, just, just, it's a pattern. And Elijah, did we figure out what tribe he's from yet? No one knows what tribe he's from? I think he's a Benjamite. Elijah is a prophet. Now, we get a, we get a very interesting relationship. And th this starts from day one. This starts from the very first installation of the king of King Saul. We have a relationship between uh, a government power, a king, a kingdom, and the prophet. And Saul's prophet was Samuel. And David's prophet was Samuel. And David's prophet was Nathan. And there's a lot of other little prophets around there. And the prophet is extremely important to the kingdom, to spirituality, through the relationship that the people of Israel and the people of Judah, the relationship that they have with God. Because they have some scrolls. They have lots of scrolls. And that tells them what's right. It tells them what's wrong. It gives them guidance. But as regards to what do I do right now in this circumstance, when things are not black and white, what do I do? And you go and see, you see the seer. That sounds like new age. But you go and see, you see the prophet. God, I lost my keys. Where are my keys? And you go to the Bible. The Bible's not going to tell you where your keys are at. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can. It, I've seen it all, folks. I've seen the Bible answer a lot of really weird questions. So yeah, you could probably find your keys by using the Bible. But what do you do? Oh, you pray. And God does answer silly prayers like, where are my keys? I had an incredible prayer request answered yesterday as my child gets back from Chuck E. Cheese. And she says, I don't like Chuck E. Cheese anymore. That place creeps me out. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus! You have heard my prayers. I'm going to fill on my connection card. I'm going to write that down as a praise report. The Chuck E. Cheese mouse creeps my kid out. I can't tell you. I have been praying for this for a long time. And you know what that does? It gives me hope. Because God answers prayers. And you know what's next on my list? It's My Little Pony. My Little Pony is going down next. God answers prayers. He answers big prayers and he answers little prayers. Oh, God, where am I going with that? Okay, so okay, so we have okay the relationship between the prophet and the king, and the prophet and the people, and this is what's very 
fascinating. Who holds the power today? Who holds the power? It's the president. The, uh, president Obama is the most powerful man in the world. He wields more influence than anybody else. Whether good or bad, I don't know what your political leanings are, but you got to admit, the guy has got tremendous amount of power, and the next president that we elect will have just as much power, if not more so, depending on how they, well they leverage themselves. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Oh, okay, I'm going to behave. But I think, it, I mean, for where we're at right now, I think it's so fascinating to see uh, Donald Trump begin to position himself towards the faith-based organizations. Why is he doing this? Um, he wants to win. He wants your vote. Uh, I don't know where he stands with the Lord. It's not, but it's not my, it's not, I don't know, it's not my, anyway. So he wants your vote. But here is what will not happen. This will not happen, I guarantee you. Billy Graham is not going to walk up into the White House and going to say, I'm going to decide who the president is. I am going to be the one who is going to hold the president accountable for his sins and for his actions and for what he does with the nation. Is that ever going to happen in our country? It won't. Why? It's because we value, as a people, we value the political institution over the religious institution. We do. I guarantee you our nation does. We put our faith into political leaders rather than putting our faith into God. And this is a tension from the very beginning when, when the people cried out, say, everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? We have a bunch of tribes. We have a bunch of random judges that lead. We have, we're not organized. We need a king. And the prophet says, when you get a king, he is going to take your freedoms away from you. And it's true. And, you know, whatever side of the boat you're on, whoever we elect, there will be somebody in this room that's going to have their freedoms taken away from you. <laughs> that's a scary world we live in right now. Uh, we, this, we could very well be illegal in the next 10 years. Like the what we do here. My, my ability to exercise my freedom of speech is in jeopardy. And I could gladly go to jail for preaching the gospel. I'll say that again. I will gladly go. But it's on the, it's on the horizon. Like right now, there is a bill in the California Congress that is, that is going to limit, or not going to limit, is going to make it illegal for Christian colleges to teach the way that they do. Westmont College, Biola College, Azusa College, they're all on the bubble right now. It, you need to look it up. You need to send a letter to your congressperson because they are going to take their freedom of speech away from Christian colleges. It's terrifying. But... We'll all go to jail together. All right, sorry. Okay, so the prophet 
in this case, has the ability and has the power and has the authority to walk into the king's presence or to walk into the president's presence and say, you are screwing up. You need to submit to my authority because I am submitted under God's authority. It is a huge, bizarre concept to think about. And for Israel, and even in the ancient world, it is somewhat unique because um, usually the person in power appoints the priests. You know, their neighbors, Egypt. Uh, The Pharaoh is the king god. And he decides who his priests are. And his priests are all yes men. And they're going to do exactly what the power says. And they don't, even though they have their pantheon of gods, Hoth, Toreth, and all these other really cool gods, uh, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is what's coming out of the mouth of power, which is Pharaoh. But this is not the case in Israel. Because what really matters is, what is God saying? And the mouthpiece of God is the prophet. And so we see this with David. Uh, we, we hit on it last week. David, um, who everybody loves, he is, uh, he is our favorite warlord leader. And he, he commits one of the most heinous crimes. He kills his, one of his leading best friends who's been faithful to him for 20 years. He kills him because he has this affair with Bathsheba. We know the story. The, the, the point is, is that Nathan walks into his presence and says, you have sinned. And David humbles himself to the authority of God being spoken through the prophet. It's a big deal. Uh, if this would have happened in Egypt, guess who would have died? The prophet would have died. Because you do not challenge the authority. Yet, David, who had all authority, who had all power, he submitted himself under the authority of God and under the authority of the prophet. And Nathan, guess who appointed Nathan? David did. Nathan wasn't a wild-eyed, crazy prophet like Elijah, who we're going to get to eventually. Nathan was a a court-appointed prophet. You had basically two types of prophets. You have the court-appointed prophet, and then you have the one that that lives out in the desert and eats bugs. Okay? And David even comes under the submission of somebody that he's appointed. It's amazing. All right, so now we're talking about Elijah. We We have separate kingdoms. The really naughty guys are the ones that are up in the north. This is the nation of Israel. They're the ones that have fallen under the temptation of Jeroboam. They're worshiping the old gods, the Egyptian gods, the calf god. They're saying these are the ones that led you out of slavery and bondage. It's, it's, it's a fake thing. They're worshiping the cool gods. They're worshiping gods that let them do whatever they want to do. I would let, wouldn't it be great if our God was like that? If he just let you do whatever you wanted to do? They um, <laughs> like, no, that would be a bad idea. Elijah, we're, we're trying to do, we did a little bit of research. And I'm trying to figure out where he's from. So I, he's, he's from Gilead. He's a Tishbite. Maybe we can figure this out later. If you know, that'd be great to tell me between services. I think he was a Benjamite from one of the lesser tribes. Most likely he was, he was from Judah. And he hightails it up to the north 
and he confronts one of uh, the nastiest kings that we have seen in the Bible, King Ahab. Ahab. And do we know who he was married to? Do you remember? Jezebel. So Ahab marries, okay, he's the king of the north. He is, um, he is the, the king of Israel, and he's married himself to, and this is, again, this is a theme that we see from Solomon. We see it through all the other kings. He marries, probably for political reasons, he marries a Sidonian, uh, a woman that is not an Israelite, and her name is Jezebel, and her name is infamous. Like, if you have kids and you're trying to figure out what to name your new daughter, don't name her Jezebel. Like, I think young people don't get this, right? They think that it's a cool-sounding name, so I'm going to name my kid Jezebel. Don't do that. Like, it's bad. You know, she's, she's evil. She's wicked. She's a murderer. You know, and she, you know, the dogs lick, lick up her blood. It's kind of cool. So, I, I, so don't, name your, don't name your daughter Jezebel. It would be appropriate to name your cat Jezebel. But don't... <laughs> Don't, don't name your, dog, your daughter Jezebel. And so she's evil, and let's, let's, let's crack the Bible, and let's read a part of the story. Okay, so Elijah goes up north. Uh, again, we are assuming he is a prophet from the south, and he is going to hold this king, this northern king, and his evil wife to account for their sins because they're worshiping false idols, they are being very naughty. Uh, not only are they worshiping this calf god, no, we've talked about these guys in the, in a couple weeks ago, but they are worshiping Baal and Asherah. So they're worshiping this really fascinating fertility god, Baal, who rides around on the backs of bulls and he throws thunderbolts at people that he doesn't like. He is the forerunner of Zeus. And then Asherah is, um, she is a fertility god too, but she's a sex god. And so she would be, she's the forerunner of Aphrodite. And so these are, so you can, maybe you can understand why people are attracted to these types of gods. Because they're fun. Because they're prosperity. Because they're pleasure gods. So of course, it's, it's just a natural attraction. It's like going to Las Vegas. You get it all, all right? So this is who they're worshiping. Elijah confronts Ahab, and he says, you are living in sin, and you have led the entire nation into rebellion, and God wants you to stop. This is your opportunity right here and right now to repent. And I'll prove it to you that I am a prophet from God because I'm going to dry up the land. We, we are going into drought. I wish I could do this. It would be amazing. I can call up our senator and say, look, senator, I'm a man from God, and it's, we're going into drought unless you shape up. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if we can threaten our politicians with forces of nature? That's how they did things back then. Maybe we could still do things like that. But that's what happens. Elijah says, it is not going to rain until I say so. 
So he goes, this is amazing. He goes into the king's presence. He rattles his saber. He threatens him. He says, we're going into drought. It's not going to rain until I say so. I have power and I have authority over you. Guess what Ahab does? Nothing. So even, even Ahab's a bad guy. He doesn't kill him. He wants to, but he knows that he can't. And then things, then it comes true. They go into full-blown drought. And then Ahab's like, I'm going to get this guy. <laughs> so and he chases him around. And, of course, you know, Elijah hides out in, in, a, in a ravine, gets fed by ravens, and God takes care of him. But they're, they're in full-blown drought until, until Ahab breaks. But Ahab never really breaks. His wife is too strong. Jezebel wields too much power. She, she is a force to be reckoned with. And we have one of the greatest battles, one of the greatest showdowns. Uh, Elijah, is, he's a unique prophet in that he is, um, uh, he's a showman. He is, he's kind of the opposite of his, of his successor, Elisha. Elisha's kind of a quiet guy, uh, but Elijah is a showman. And he does something that requires a tremendous amount of faith. That is why one of the reasons why he is so elevated and lifted up as one of the, one of the greatest prophets. He does something. He goes into a full-blown showdown, and he challenges the, the prophets of Bel and Asherah. And, and maybe if you know the story, they, they set up two altars on the top of Mount Carmel. It's a beautiful place, overlooks the ocean. And um, they set up these two altars and one is an altar for Yahweh and the other is the altar for Baal and Asherah and there's only one prophet and that is Elijah he is a one-man team him and God that's all that there is nobody else has any faith in him we're not even quite sure why they're even entertaining him right now but it is probably because there's something about him they know that they can't touch him because he's a prophet of God and all the prophets of Baal show up and Elijah's his, his, his push on them is saying, you guys need to decide. And this is the same thing that Joshua did on his farewell sermon. Elijah is drawing a line in the sand. And he says, you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. And the way that it actually translates is that you need to quit hopping around. You need to quit hopping from one God to another God because culturally it was acceptable to worship many gods. It's not then as they quit worshiping Yahweh. It's just that they were, they were worshiping Yahweh and Baal and Asherah and whatever else came along. They were all inclusive, which is something that our culture loves, right? We love this. Ahab worshiped Yahweh with Baal. Ahab had a coexist sticker on the back of his chariot. Does that make sense? Okay, am I bringing this home? Do you guys see why this is so important? See, things do not change. We are, we are the same day as we were, you know, 2,500 years ago. We like options. We like to choose, and we want to be all-inclusive. But Elijah said, you need to quit hopping around because it's, it's killing you. It's perverting you. 
It's, it's, it's breaking you down, and it, most importantly, it's severing your relationship with your creator. That's the most important thing. You've got too many philosophies. You've got too many ideas. You've got, you're worshiping too many gods. You're hopping around from one place to another, and you're not consistent, and now it's the day to choose. Today, you're going to choose who you're going to serve, and I'm going to show you who is the most powerful because we're going to have a showdown between Yahweh and your gods. And you know the story, there's, this, you know, there's the sacrifices and he pours oil on Baal's offering. He pours water on Yahweh's offering. And then and, and the priests of Baal, you know how they were hopping around from one god to the other? Well, in, in the description of them trying to conjure up Baal's power, his lightning bolts, they were hopping around their sacrifice. So just think about the most bizarre pagan worship that you could possibly think of. That's what's going on. They're probably running around naked, and they're jumping around, screaming and hollering, rolling around on the ground, and they're cutting themselves to appease Baal. They're stabbing themselves with spears to get you know, their God's attention, right? It's really easy to, to get your God's attention when he's trying to seduce you. That's, that's the trick. It's really easy to, to serve Las Vegas when, you're, when it's trying to seduce you, when it's trying to take your money away from you, when it's trying to take away your purity, when it's trying to strip you of your moral values, it's really easy to, to fall into that trap. But when you're broke and when you've maxed out your credit card, the thing, it changes, right? He no longer thinks you're cool. He's now too there to oppress you. And so this is what's going on. They're jumping around. They're bending over backwards. They're trying to get their God's attention. And he just doesn't care anymore because he knows that he has them. He, they are all going to hell with him. He's already, he has their souls. And so he's not going to be doing them any more favors. Does that make sense? Um, a few years ago, I was in India doing some ministry work. And uh, there's a, oh, I forgot the name of the, the, the city. But it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But it's famous for um, uh, Kali, I believe. I think it's the god that they worship in this city. There's over a million gods that they worship in India. But this one specific cool god, and it's not Kali, it's, but it's, it's related to Kali somehow. It's a unique god. But they have, it's up on a high place. It's on top of a mountain. And there's, on top of this mountain is a, is a flat field the size of a football field. And then they have these big giant chariots that are made out of metal. They're, 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 they're heavy and they're they're, they're purely ceremonial. The chariots, they, they, had, they don't serve any function besides the worship of this God on this mountain. And the priests, this, was ha- this, I'm, this is not ancient history. This was taking place while I was there. You can Google this. It, they keep it very low profile because they don't, they don't want anybody to, to know about it because it's a human rights issue. But what happens is that these priests and these people that are, that are bent towards this God, that they, they, they have some type of a spiritual inclination, they go up on this mountain, and they're going to worship this God. They're going to try to get his attention, and they go into a trance. They, they go, they, the, uh, an evil spirit falls on them. They go into a trance. They, they start convulsing, and they're all laying out on this football field. And guess what the sacrifice is for this God? It's them. 
It's human sacrifice. That's why you're not going to hear about it in the news. Yes, people still commit human sacrifice to this day. Yes, people still sacrifice their children to get God's attention to this day. It's an abomination towards the Lord. And so all these people freak out. They're in a trance. And they're rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And it takes these chariots. It takes, them, it takes the bulls all day long to pull these chariots across this football field because they weigh so much. And if you, the sacrifices, how God, the gods choose you for a sacrifice is if this chariot runs over and kills you or dismembers you. That's the sacrifice of this God. So this is the same perversion that's going on with Baal and Asherah. They're cutting themselves. They're sacrificing children. They're sacrificing slaves. They're doing whatever they can to get their God's attention and nothing is happening. And, and Elijah says, okay, your time's up. My turn. And the fire of God falls down on this water-soaked offering. And not only does it consume the sacrifice, it consumes the altar that was, that was built for the sacrifice, and it consumes all the rock that's underneath it. And it literally burns a hole in the ground. It is amazing. We would all be all, dang. I'm going to get the video when I go to heaven. It's going to be like Spielberg cool. You're going to want to watch the movie. It's, 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 it, it was fantastic. And, and then Elijah kills them all. He just slaughters them all. <laughs> you guys love your God so much? Well, I'm going to introduce you real quick. It's time to meet your gods. <laughs> it kills them all. I, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he's coming off of a huge victory. Ahab's heading home. He's like, oh my gosh, this guy just whooped us. And Elijah, he, he, you know, he picks up his robe and he, he's going to head Ahab, Ahab out the pass. Ahab is uh, in a chariot or horse or whatever. And, and so... Elijah's running 40 miles an hour, 17 miles straight, like superhuman speed. This is like movie stuff. This is incredibly amazing, isn't it? Oh, man. Read the Bible. Okay, get the picture, right? Uh, this is uh, Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent messengers to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like one of them. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He fired his staff. And while, he made, uh, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came upon a broom tree. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And have you ever prayed this prayer? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. What's going on? Let me understand this. What, what is going on here? He just performed one of the coolest miracles in the Bible and now Jezebel says I'm going to kill you and he just falls into this deep depression 
and he wants to die. He wants to give up. He tells God, I've had enough. I don't understand what's going on. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over some coals, a jar of water, and he drank it. And then he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back. It's the angel of the Lord, by the way. It's a big deal. It's not just your average angel. This is the angel of the Lord. It's very intimate. Maybe it's Jesus. We don't know. I like to think so, but we don't know. Let's debate about that. So he ate again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him. He said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, the mountain where the Torah was given to Moses, where the law was given to Moses. Went into a cave, possibly the cleft, that Moses was put in when he saw God. Went into a cave and he spent the night. The Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have broken down your altars. They put the prophets to death, your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by, just like Moses. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. Okay, you got to pay attention to this. The Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the, mountain, the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? And again, he says, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They broke down your altars. They put your prophets to the sword. I'm the only one left. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, where you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son over uh, Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elijah to succeed you as prophet. And he gets up, gets back to what God's called him to do. What, what's going on? All right. If I get the band, let's just come up to the front. I'm going to put a... I'm gonna, I'm going to set this down for a quick landing, and I hope you're paying attention, because this is what's going on. This is why it applies to your life. We, have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been felt let down by God? Have you ever prayed something and God didn't answer your prayer? Have you ever been zealous for the Lord and it didn't work out? You see, what's going on is that in Elisha's mind, he thought revival was going to happen, that he was going to establish purity in the kingdom, and Jezebel called him on it. She said, no, it's not going to happen. See, it was Elijah's plan that the whole, <laughs> that the whole nation was going to turn back to God, but it didn't happen. 
And Elijah had a false idea of what was really going on. And what was really going on is that God had another plan. And at the end, when God says, when God whispers to him, it's the only voice that he's able to hear. Because God was not in the fire. And what is Elijah like? He likes fireworks, right? He likes the big flamboyant show. That is how he's expecting to hear from God. And we get into this trap too. Like, if God doesn't show up, if he doesn't show up in my car, if I don't visibly see him, if I don't have a supernatural empower encounter with God, then I guess it's not real. Look, God, was, God will communicate to you in any way he possibly can. He will come in and he will wreck your life. He could visibly show up. Like, Jesus could physically show up in your room and talk to you. You could have a radical conversion experience, a miracle. He can do it in fire. He can do it in an earthquake. He can split rocks in the, with the wind. He can communicate to you in those ways, if that's the best way to get your attention. But the best way is the still, small voice that says, draw close to me. You need to listen to my plan. You've got too much static going on in your life. You're too busy. There's too much noise. You need to quiet down. You need to tone it down a bit. I am not, yes, I am in the flamboyant things, but I'm also in the quiet things. In healing, get this, folks, healing of your soul, healing of your emotions, wholeness, wellness, being able to connect with God, it's going to happen when you position yourself to hear that still, small voice. Get into a cave and listen to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We just pray that you will just accept our offerings. I pray that you will just, that we will open up our ears. God, we know that it's not, the communication problem is not on your side of the fence. Like you're not fishing for information. You know exactly where we're at. You have very big ears, but we don't, God. So God, I pray that, you will just, that we will just position ourselves to hear your small voice so that we can be obedient, so that we can see your plan. And may we align ourselves with your plan and not ours. We pray this in your name. Amen.